All right, let's open up our Bibles to Acts chapter 5. We'll be looking at verses 12 through 16. Acts chapter 5, verses 12 through 16. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, Believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we ask that you would teach us that you would, you would break it down for us to understand, not just intellectually, Lord, but spiritually, where we want to receive your word. We want to be changed by your word. We pray, Lord, that you would be at work in each of us today for your glory, but for our good. In Christ's name, amen. Church here in the early part of Acts, the church is getting some attention. People are noticing things. And it's always interesting that, you know, churches throughout history have sought to get the attention of the world. And that's not a bad thing. That's not a criticism, right? It's going to be, but not yet. Um, Like, listen, you you try to get somebody's attention. You try to get them to pay attention, right? You're you're doing things, right? Or you're, you're hoping to see God do something that will make people bring their eyes up and lay them on you as the church, Right? And so like, we see this happening in different ways. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's not so great. But the most recent way I saw this uh, manifested was the Easter services, not here, but, uh, but I saw a couple of them online. Now, if you're on TikTok or Instagram, maybe you've seen this. But uh, so you know what happens at churches, especially churches that have uh, the ability uh, to put on a big production. Uh, you know, they want to attract as many people as possible to come to church because it's Easter. People are more open to come into church. And so nothing wrong with that. And they want people to come in. And the reason they want to attract people and the reason they want to put on a production is because they want to tell them about Jesus. So motives are great. Anyways, there were two services or portions of services that I saw. Um, did anybody see the Lion King of Judah? Easter service from a, a big church. So it was the Lion King of Judah. And again, I'm not making fun. I am. I'm not making fun of them, uh, but, I, I, but I, I, I'm just pointing out something here that I, I think is, is a bit off. So a uh, big production, Lion King of Judah. So just imagine there's a set. It looks like uh, Lion King. And um, there's a person dressed up like in a lion suit uh, singing uh, Adele. Adele, singing Adele, and, uh, and it's, 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 it's like, you know, sadness, and there's sorrow because Christ has been crucified, but the resurrection is about to come. It's really strange. Uh, you know, high production quality, big event. Why are they doing it? Because they're trying to get people's attention, right? Then that's, again, motives are great. They want people to pay attention, right? Look over here. Listen to what we have to say. There was another one. This one featured the set of Back to the Future, Clock Tower, Doc Brown, Marty, like with the bald head and the hair, had all the characters, and they're, uh, they're dancing and singing Uptown Funk. Uh, but they changed the words so that they're super cheesy, I mean Christian. Um, and 
I, I, I'll just be honest. I find the whole thing problematic because theologically, we at Redeemer, we have a different conviction. We have different conclusions that we've drawn about the nature of worship, what's appropriate, what's inappropriate, right? Nothing wrong with putting on skits and plays and having drama or doing art and being creative. All that's great. But what they are doing in that moment is off-putting to me in a sense because they are trying to leverage entertainment in corporate worship as the means to draw people in and get their attention. So I don't think the problem is that they're trying to get people's attention. I just think there's something a bit off about it. Now, on the other hand, like, you know, we don't even put an ad on Google. So, I mean, like, we, we, we could probably do with a little bit of trying to get people's attention. The point is, is that we do need to get people's attention. It, it, it does matter. And how you go about it matters. Now, what you see God doing when God gets people's attention in the Bible, how does he do it? When God's getting people's attention throughout Scripture, he, what you see in certain uh, periods of time is he performs signs and wonders. That's how God gets their attention. Signs and wonders. Why does he do it? A lot of reasons. We're going to talk about why these things happen. But he performs a miracle that can only be explained by his power. And now people have to reckon with what he is saying, what he's about to say. So that's how God oftentimes does it. It's not the only way. And then the early church, we see in the book of Acts, the early church is also getting people's attention. How are they doing it? Well, they're not doing it by entertainment. They're not leveraging production. But they are getting people's attention. And one of the big ways that they're getting people's attention, it's not that they're, they are actively just trying to get people's attention, but they are getting the attention of the people around them by performing signs and wonders. We're going to talk about that. But here's the point that I'm trying to get to. Whether it's God getting people's attention through his works or whether it's God getting people's attention through the church, there is a difference. There is a fundamental difference between how God gets someone's attention and how God changes a person's heart. They are not the same thing. The first does not equate to the latter. The things that God does to get a people's attention, in fact, cannot change the human heart. So here's what I want us to see. It's a long one. I'm sorry. Let's see. Okay, there you go. The work of God in his people draws eyes, but the word of God preached by his people changes hearts. So let that sink in for a minute, right? The work of God in his people Right, the things that he does in and through us, it draws eyes, it draws attention, it, it gets people paying attention, it arrests them, makes them look, at least for a moment. The work of God in his people draws eyes, but the word of God preached by his people, that is what changes hearts. So we're going to break this down into two basic sections. Number one, the work of God in his people, that draws eyes, and then the word of God preached by his people, which changes hearts. So first, right away, you see it in verse 12, um, the work of God in his people, the work that we're talking about here are signs and wonders. Signs and wonders. Now, many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. Signs and wonders, what are those things? These are immediate, demonstrable, miraculous works of God. That's what they are. Immediate, demonstrable, you could add more, measurable, verifiable. But these are real, miraculous works of God that cannot be explained away. These things happen, people observe them, they are stunned, and now they're paying attention. 
signs and wonders. Now, the, the most common sign here that we see uh, is the healing of people, whether it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's uh, paralysis, right, or, or, uh, or, or, or uh, con- continual bleeding. Like, there's, there's all kinds of, of physical needs that were demonstrably problematic that were healed instantaneously by Jesus and then the apostles. But the other, the other category is that of uh, demon possession, that Christ would cast out demons and, and the apostles cast out demons. So these signs and these wonders were, were being done and part of what was happening through these signs and wonders is it's making the whole, and in particular right now, the Jewish community around them pay attention like, what is going on? Healing, casting out of demons, everybody sees, everybody knows, now they're listening, at least for a moment. Now, who is doing the signs and wonders? This matters because there are a lot of us as Christians who, when we think about spiritual gifts, we just kind of all lump them in together and we're like, okay, I read there's different lists. There's 1 Corinthians 12, there's Romans 12, there's 1 Corinthians 14, there's Ephesians, like there's 1 Peter. We look at all these lists of spiritual gifts and we go, okay, so there's spiritual gifts and, you know, maybe, maybe this guy has one gift and this girl has another gift and we just kind of treat them all the same. But in fact, there are some differences between the spiritual gifts. Who is performing these gifts of signs and wonders? We know because it says it's the apostles. In fact, the apostles are really the only ones that performed the sign and wonder gifts. They are the ones that walked around regularly doing these miraculous healings and the casting out of demons. It was them or people with them in their particular ministry. Now we see this in a number of passages. You see it playing out in in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2. If we go back to when we've already covered, verse 43, and awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. This was not, the miraculous sign gifts were not something that was common among all of uh, the, the church. It was limited to and expressed through the apostles. And you can continue to read chapter 14, verse three, chapter 19, verse 11. It's the apostles who have these giftings. Apostles. Right, people that were set apart by God to be the foundation of this New Testament church, right? The church is built on the foundation of the prophets and the apostles. We no longer have apostles, not in any sense like we had in the early church, in scripture. They had authority, there was scripture. We don't have apostles anymore. And this apostolic gift, this uniquely apostolic gift is one that is no longer functioning because the office of apostle, as we once understood it, no longer exists in fact, just uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12 says it this way about the apostles and this particular gift. The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience with signs and wonders and mighty works. Signs of a true apostle. So this matters, this helps us, right? Okay, so the work of God among his people draws eyes. And here in the first century, right, in the early church, we see that there were signs and wonders being performed. They were being performed by the apostles. Why? What, what, what's the point? What's the end game of these miracles? I'll give you three reasons. Three reasons why uh, the apostles were gifted to perform these sign miracles. Number one, as we've been saying, to draw eyes, but to be more specific, These miraculous sign gifts, these draw eyes to God's power and his character. You see, when the apostles are preaching, teaching, going about, 
they were viewed very, well, suspicious uh, is, is to put it nicely, right? They were not looked upon favorably because this new group of people, uh, the, the, the Jewish community that they are emerging out of view them as a sect, as backwood, hillbilly. Like they're, 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 not, they're not really with us. They're doing their own thing. They're going their own way. They, they've lost the plot, they would say. Like they're, they're heretics, Right, they're schismatics. They didn't like this group of people calling themselves the way, later called Christians. They, they didn't like them. And so when these apostles are out here preaching and they're teaching, they're already considered very suspect. And so these signs and these wonders that are performed draws everyone's eyes right to them and gives them an opportunity to then speak. But this, this drawing eyes to them allows them to see what God is doing, because it's not Peter that's healing. It's not really the apostles that are healing. It's God through them. And so these gifts show people, right, implicitly it shows them a little bit of God's character, a little bit of his nature, a little bit of who he is and, and what he does. It shows us God's power, that he is sovereign, that this is a God who actually does what all the other so-called gods say they will do. This is the God that gives life. This is the God that raises from the dead. This is the God that casts out demons and can trample Satan. This is the God who is sovereign over all. He is sovereign and he is good. He is powerful and he is merciful. Right? We see in God like his power and his character. So like why is God healing people? It shows us his character in that he is a God who is not only sovereign and all-powerful, but he cares about people. And not people as a group, that's easy, but people as individuals. He cares about individuals that he can lay his eyes on, that he, 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 call, he draws near, he sees an individual in need. He's the opposite of most politicians who only care about people in an ideological way as a group. But when it comes to specific individuals, they have no interest or really any, any opportunity to do much. But our God is sovereign. He cares about people. He cares about humanity, but he cares about individuals. And when there's this need, he meets it. He heals. He restores graciously, compassionately. God cares. So these signs and wonders draw people's eyes to see God's power and his character. But second, it also then, this is where we've been going, it gets their attention so that they are now ready to hear, ready to listen, even if it's only for a short period of time. But these sign gifts make people go, oh, okay. Because here's the thing. The guy that's saying, uh, this is, you're all wrong, and this is who God is, and this is how God functions. This is what God has said in the past. This is how he responds to our sin. In other words, the apostle starts to preach what we would just call the scripture, and he begins to explain to people that, listen, the truth is you are sinful and corrupt, and in fact, you are worthy of condemnation. Even though you're made in the image of God, and you're made for God, you don't delight in God. You delight in yourself. And because of your sin, you're worthy to be condemned. But God is so big and so loving, he extends grace to you so that if you will repent of your sins and look to his son, Jesus, you can be saved. And this is why. And you, they explain the whole thing. That, that, listen, that's some, that's some high, strange stuff, right, for people that are unfamiliar, especially if you, in their minds, are deviating from their, their system of thought. So you, you, you're, you're preaching these doctrines. The church is holding out these, these, these principles. Uh, they're, they're holding out what we call this good news. And it's easy to dismiss that as, oh, you're just crazy. But when they perform miracles, that immediately 
demonstrably show that there has something supernatural has happened, they have to at least take a minute to consider. This is the, is this the God? I mean, the God that you're talking about is the God that just did this. What I just saw is real. The sign, the wonder, the work of God in you. I can see that that's real. So is what you are saying real? You see, that's the thing. It, these miracles draw people's attention to see God's power and character, to see who God is. It, it draws their attention so that they will hear a message. And then in that, these miracles, third, verify that the message is authentic. It can't prove it because people can just dismiss this away, but it is a verification. You see, Jesus did this in his ministry. I think it's Mark two or four. I'm terrible. I need to know that better. Uh, uh, the, the, the men bring the paralyzed man to Jesus. They drop him through the roof and uh, everybody's looking on and Jesus says, wow, your sins are forgiven. And people are like, uh, who's this guy to say your sins are forgiven? Only God can forgive sins. And Jesus says, so that you know that the son of man, that's me, by the way, he said, just so you know that the son of man has the authority on earth to forgive sins, rise and take up your pallet and walk. The miracle verified that he had the authority to do what he just did, to forgive. And so the miracles function in this way. So why these miracles? It draws eyes to see God's power and character. Uh, it gets people's attention so that they will listen and they verify that the message is authentic. So, especially while the scripture is being written. So signs and wonders performed by the apostles for these purposes and what's the result? What's the consequence? These are real miracles. Lives are being changed temporally. Lives are being changed. What's the response? We see it in verse 13. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. In other words, there was a sense of admiration and appreciation, but not acceptance. You understand the difference, right? You can appreciate something or even admire someone, but not want to roll with them, right? And that's what's happening here. And this happens actually quite a bit at different times throughout scripture and throughout church history. Sometimes the world admires the things that God does in his people. I think we are, we are in a place where we are, we are tempted uh, and we oftentimes do only talk about the world in absolute negative terms. Enemies of God, which is true. We are all enemies of God by nature. Children of wrath, yes. Children of wrath. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Yeah, okay, all of this is true. But we almost then begin to think like, oh, well, they, they, they have no ability to do anything relatively good or to affirm of anything morally good. And that's, that's simply not true. Now, this... They, they can appreciate things. They can admire. Not fully, but they, they get it. They see something happening here. Here in Acts, the, the God is at work through the apostles. It's a work of grace and mercy. People are being healed. And so they admired. They appreciated. And sometimes the world admires what God does in his people. In this case, the signs and wonders through the apostles. But that's not all. In fact, the world historically has recognized God's work in his people from time to time. It's been documented in secular, by secular historians that uh, the world will admire what God is doing in the church. What is God doing in the church? If he's not doing signs and wonders anymore, what are they supposed to see? Love, sacrifice, 
They see the character of God being formed in the people of God, God lived out among their lives, their relationships. The, the world can at times see and appreciate something good that is happening in us because of God. And it ranges from awe, like, wow, they're just dumbstruck, maybe a miracle or maybe a true sign of sacrifice. Listen, the world has long admired the martyrs. They've made movies about them. Martyrs who were willing to die for their faith because they simply practice the faith, they follow Jesus, they preach the gospel, and they are tortured, they are beaten, they are brutalized. And as they are led to be devoured by bears and lions or burned alive, they sing praises to God. The world sees, appreciates. They can be filled with awe, but from awe to appreciation, right? That's what it is. From awe to admiration to appreciation, they can respond positively, temporarily from a distance to things like signs and wonders and love and sacrifice. But admiration is not acceptance. Admiration is not acceptance. You could, they admire what they see from a distance, but they, they must ignore the implications of what they admire. They're saying like, okay, it's cool, it's chill, but I don't want to spend too much time with it because if I do think too much about this, I'm going to realize that uh, the real thing that I see happening in their life is coming from a God who has something to say to me. So this is what's happening. Signs and wonders not changing people's hearts. Now, what should this do in us? This idea that God works in us and it draws people's eyes to us, but it doesn't change their hearts. What should that do in us? This doctrine or this truth, this principle should humble us and break our hearts. It should... Humble us because, A, we realize God is actually willing to be at work in me. That's amazing. And God works in us in such a way that people can see it. How does God work in you? Think about that for the rest of our time. Now, uh, it should humble us that God works in us, but it should also humble us because we recognize we will never have the power or the capability to change a person's heart. We can't do it. We cannot change their heart. We can get their attention. That's about it. But changing their heart is beyond our capability. So it should humble us. Number two, it should break our hearts because if we actually care about people coming to know Jesus and we know that they are rejecting the word, it should break our hearts. And I say that, that's important. Please hear me on this because when I look at our culture, and here we're talking North America, right? When I'm looking at our culture, it's obvious, it's clear, I think it's clear to everybody that we are increasingly leaning away from Christianity or Christian foundational values, right? I don't think it's ever been really a Christian nation. That's my perspective. But we've certainly, uh, certainly had a Judeo-Christian ethic, right, that this country was built upon. And we continue to not only lean away from being Christian friendly, we are now like seeing a culture that is increasingly uh, Christian uh, hostile, right? They do not like us. They do not want us. So what does that do to us? I guess it depends on where you look because I spend some time on the interwebs and I don't see a lot of brokenheartedness. I see a lot of rage. I see a lot of arrogant little babies. I get that we are, that listen, as citizens in this country that we will be fighting and, and battling and doing political maneuvering and, and trying to achieve good things in this culture. But as Christians, we should fundamentally be heartbroken when we see that the world is rejecting the message that we are holding out to them, not angry at them. Anywho, two things here I just want to point out. 
on this, what this should do in us. Um, one is to ask you again, what does the world see in us? God works in his people. What does the world see? I mean, you should probably be able to write it down. What is the world likely to see in me based on my social media posts, the way that I talk to people at the coffee shop, like the way I conduct myself at work? What does the world see in me? Answer that for yourself. Write it down. Take it seriously. Ask your friends or your spouse. Do they see God at work in you? And what would that look like? It's not complicated. The work of God in you is the fruit of the Spirit. It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. If the world sees that in a culture that despises what we believe, they just might begin to pay attention. So number one, just as a reminder, ask yourself, what has the world seen in me? And secondly, another note uh, before we move on, you will not always be admired. In fact, we see this. There are times when the church or when Christians are admired by the world for something good that God is doing in them, but it never lasts. It cannot last. I have a friend who planted a church in what he called the Bohemian neighborhood uh, in 2000. Uh, I, I don't know if the word hipster was being used yet, but that's what it was, a hipster neighborhood. And uh, planted a church, and this church turned out to be a gospel-rich, theologically sound church that was growing with conversions. It was Cool. It went through a really weird, funky phase because they had to get the hipster out of them. But they did, and, uh, and it turned out to be a really great church. Well, listen, this church in this neighborhood was filled with people that were artists. So there was a huge artist contingent in the church, and the community was very artistic, more so than others, right? There were all these people, and they said, we need to provide an outlet for our people to actually come together and, and do some of this stuff, right? So they began to work that out and they had a big building and they said, hey, you know what? We can open up our building for art shows to be a blessing to the community. I'm like, cool, we can do that, right? Like we're doing clothes closet. They had people that didn't have anywhere to display art. Like they're, they're doing that. And so everything was great. And man, the city was like, this church is awesome. Finally, a church that like understands, gets the city. They're for the city. They're, 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 they, seem, they seem to be very cool, very loving. They, uh, they, they're pro-art. They have these art shows and everybody was great until somebody wanted to bring in art that was very sexually expensive into their gallery and they were like that's uh, uh, we got to wrestle with some standard issues now and then all of a sudden people began to dig and, and, and in, very, in a very short matter of time newspapers and magazines that were writing articles of praise and websites that were art- writing articles of praise for this church because they were a part of the community and blessing the community were now dogging them because it turned out they're actually Christian They actually believe that there's a hell and people go there, that there's only one way to heaven and that's through faith in Jesus Christ, that there's only one means for our sins to be atoned for, that we actually have uh, beliefs about morality, sexual ethics, um, what's right and wrong, murder, and they just were dogged. It doesn't last, which is all well and good because admiration attention doesn't convert anyone anyways. It just gives us a moment, an opportunity to show them the message. The work of God in his people draws eyes, but it's the word of God preached by his people that changes hearts, verses 14 through 16. And really, for the sake of time here, we're just going to focus on on, uh, on verse 14 here. But it says, uh, and 
more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats. And as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. So get this. Signs and wonders were being performed, but that wasn't leading to people's conversions, right? People saw that and they were like, okay, wow, it's cool, but I'm not, I'm not enough. And yet the church does continue to grow. And we know how the church is growing because it's already been laid out for us in the early part of Acts. The church continues to grow, not via signs and wonders, production, performances, big, unexplainable miracles. It, wouldn't, it would never lead somebody to join the church in the first century because joining the church in the, search, in the first century cost you. It cost you your social standing. It cost you your family. It could cost you your life. People are not about to join the church because it has a good show if it might cost them their life. So they're not joining the church because of these miracles. It doesn't work that way. They're like, wow, cool, but I'm going to stay over here because you're, you're about to get got. I don't want to be anywhere near that. Uh, interesting, but I don't want to spend a lot of time there. But people are being saved. The church is growing. The church grows, right? The church grows through conversions. That's how churches are supposed to grow. We go through conversions. Uh, people hear the gospel and they believe in Jesus. But the thing is, is okay, so if the signs and the wonders don't work for bringing people into the church and they don't work for converting people, how is anybody getting converted? Right, because it's, it's not our ability to persuade. We don't have the power. But even God's power at work in us and around us isn't changing anybody's life. How is anyone converted? So let me break it down for you like this. Theologians talk about conversion as essentially a turning. It is a change or a transformation. Conversion is made up of faith and repentance. That's what conversion is when Protestants talk about it. It's faith and repentance. It's positive faith. It's trusting in Jesus to be the only one that can take away our sin and our guilt. And it's a, it's, it's a turning away from ourselves and self-directed life, right? So conversion is one thing made up of two parts. It's a turning. It's that turning moment. Okay, so how does that happen? Signs and wonders don't make it happen. How does it happen? It happens, we've talked about this already in the series, it happens through the miraculous power of God in regeneration or the work of the new birth, call it being born again. We've already covered this, so let me just be brief and say, the new birth is God's radical spiritual transformation of our hearts so that they work like they're supposed to work. Our hearts are spiritually dead in our natural state. They don't work like they're supposed to. You know what happens when your brain doesn't work? My brain doesn't work right like it's supposed to. I've got to take a certain drug so that the right serotonin levels are all okay in there. My brain works better. When your brain's working good, you feel good, right? Everything's, everything's, when your liver isn't working right and you gotta, gotta take things so that it's doing, if your liver's working right, man, your body's cleaning, it's doing all of its stuff, kidneys, right? Like if your heart, your spiritual heart isn't working right, it's not going to do what it's supposed to do. What's it supposed to do? It's supposed to love God, but it doesn't. It's supposed to accept God's truth, but it doesn't. Regeneration or the new birth is God injecting spiritual life into your heart and turning it from stone to flesh. It's making it real so that it works. And I like to say it beats now with love for God. It now accepts the things of God. So how is it that anyone is ever converted? Well, they are born again by the power of God. And once that heart is alive, what do they do? They start to breathe. They start to repent. They start to believe. They're alive. That's what happens. Now, we know 
that this work of regeneration and conversion is always associated with the ministry of the word. Born again by the spirit through the word. You can think about it in that way, right? We, uh, I mean, conversion comes by the Holy Spirit using Holy Scripture. That's what it is. The Holy Spirit using Holy Scripture. Conversion comes by the word, not by seeing miracles. Let me give you one passage of Scripture to wrap us up because I think this will help us see the point that I'm hoping we can take with us. It's in Luke chapter 16. It's the parable, maybe it's a parable, there's debate, parable of the rich man and Lazarus that Jesus told. Jesus said, there was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. So you get, this, you get the picture. Opulent wealth, comfort, has everything that he needs. Rich man, Lazarus, poor man, so poor. He has no food, no food to eat. He has no friends. He has no safety network. He has, no, he has nobody. Everybody has abandoned him. He is on his own. All he wants is scraps to eat from a rich man's table, and he gets none. All he has are filthy dogs, wild dogs that come and lick his sores until he dies. And he dies, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side, takes him to paradise, takes him to heaven. He's with Abraham, the father of Israel. He's in the presence of God. He, he He is whole. He is full. He is satisfied. That's where he's at. The rich man also died and was buried and in Hades, being in torment. This, this, so this guy, just to simplify this, right? this guy is enduring judgment. He is in affliction. He's going through hell, right? And he lifted up his eyes and he saw Abraham far off and Lazarus by his side. So this means a couple of things. One, as an, another, an aside to the aside, this is not a description of how things actually worked in the netherworld, okay? This is, I think, Jesus trying to drive a point home to us. But nevertheless... The rich man is suffering, he's in hell, he looks up and way off in the distance, way far from him, separated from him is paradise and in paradise he can see Abraham, crazy, crazy. But he also recognizes somebody else, which means he knew the poor man and neglected him. He saw Lazarus, saw him and he goes, there's, La- oh my gosh, Lazarus is over there and I am over here. So listen to his anguish and his request. He said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, child, remember that you in your lifetime received good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. And besides all this, there is between us and you a great chasm that has been fixed in order that those who who are here cannot pass from there and back and forth. But then he says this, The rich man says, then I beg you, Father, send him, that's Lazarus, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. 
And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. If they just see a miracle, if they could just see signs and wonders, then they'll know, then they'll respond. And Abraham says, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. The work of God in his people draws eyes. Even the miraculous, it draws eyes, but it doesn't change hearts. Only the word of God preached by his people changes hearts. We need the Holy Spirit using Holy Scripture through God's holy people. This is why we focus so much of our time on Scripture. It's why we preach it and meditate on it. It's why we take translation so seriously. It's, it, we need God's word. Without it, there is no life. Without it, it's called the word of the cross that is powerful, right? It's the word of the cross. So, what does this mean? Just a few things for us as we're, we'll wrap it up. Um, the work of God in his people draws eyes, but does not change hearts. It doesn't mean that the work of God in us is bad. It's good, and we should celebrate all of the things that God does in us and all the ways that God works in us. And it will draw eyes for a season, which gives us an opportunity to speak. The word of God preached by his people is what changes hearts. So if we want to be a healthy church that glorifies God, then we will preach Christ crucified. We will, we will preach God's word. We will teach it. We will make it understandable. We won't use it as a club to beat people up with. We will hold it out as the hope of eternal life. Yes, that means holding it up as a mirror that exposes sin so that people know what they need to repent of, but then holding up the light of the gospel so that they know that they are not left in darkness. God has provided a light to save them. We're supposed to love the lost. If we love the lost, if we actually care for people in our neighborhoods, if we're burdened for them, then we will tell them about Jesus. We will not rely on our external works to be the message. We need more. We need to say, listen, when I say healthy churches preach the gospel, I don't mean me. I am not the church. I mean us. I don't mean the preachers here. I don't mean those who get to stand up and talk for way too long on a Sunday. I'm not talking about those small, I'm talking about all of us. Preaching the gospel is not an apostolic gift. It is a universal gift that all Christians are called to exercise. Preaching the gospel, it's an opportunity that we should not take lightly. What is it that we believe changes people? If it's the word of God, then that's what we will share whether that's through teaching or through testimony or through affirming uh, the things that, that we believe in conversations that are, that are very natural. There are a, a million different ways in which God allows us to share or preach his word, formal to informal. But let me just say this. Uh, if you are a, a person who has not yet believed, Maybe you're doubtful, maybe you're, maybe you're a contrarian, maybe you, maybe you have questions, maybe you are even hostile to some of what you have seen in the church or to some of what maybe I've said here today. Um, if you don't personally know Christ, if you don't personally believe, I would encourage you to look and to see God's work. You can see it. You can see God's work in creation. 
You can see God's work in his people, though we oftentimes do a pretty good job of messing that up and hiding it. But I want you to look and see God's work, his greatest work, his greatest miracle, and that is in his son. Of all the things that God did, the incarnation, I'm sorry, the son of God becoming human, taking on a human nature so that he is simultaneously fully God and fully man, that he grew in wisdom and stature, yet he was omnipotent, omniscient, that he was omnipresent. This miracle that, that the son became a man, became a prophet and a priest and a king he fulfilled all of God's laws. He loved everyone. He lived righteously, submitting himself to the will of the Father, perfect in every way, perfect humanity in every way, different from us in every way morally because he is superior and pure and clean and yet he died a torturous death to take our place. The innocent suffered for the unrighteous. He died for us to take our guilt so that we could be forgiven. The innocent one, the one who is pure, took on our impurities so that we could be cleansed. Through his death, he rose from the dead, has ascended into heaven. We await for him to return. Listen, that is the work of God I want you to consider because in that work, you find your salvation. And I pray that you will, you will encounter a miracle much bigger than healing limbs or lungs because the miracle that every believer has experienced is the miracle of the new birth where God gives you a heart that actually works like it's supposed to. Loving him as God above all, believing in his promises. I pray that God gives you that. I pray that we would all grow in that together. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we ask that you would bless us with, with insight into ourselves and our own weakness insight into your word, but all of this, Lord, not just to be smart or more understanding, Lord. We, we pray this because we want to be the people you've created us to be, godly, joyful. <laughs> Lord, we want to be a people who are serious about serious things, who enjoy your good gifts, who work hard in our families, in our vocations, in our school. Lord, we... we <laughs> We want to live lives of real faith. So help us by your word to walk in your truth, to bring glory to your son, to rely on the power of your spirit as we hold on tightly to your word. In Jesus' name, amen.